Hey y'all, we're rerunning two episodes today. Enjoy the show. Hey guys, welcome to This Day in History class, where we bring you a new tidbit from history every day. The day was June 5th, 1981. The Morbidity and Mortality Weekly Report, published by the U.S. Center for Disease Control, released an article called Pneumocystis Pneumonia, Los Angeles. The article detailed five cases of pneumocystis carini pneumonia, or PCP, which is a rare lung infection. The cases were all in Los Angeles, and all of the men identified in the report as having PCP were young, white, and gay. This report was the first on what would become known as the AIDS, or Acquired Immunodeficiency Syndrome, epidemic. AIDS is caused by HIV, our human immunodeficiency virus. HIV attacks a person's immune system as it spreads through the body, specifically attacking CD4 cells, also known as T cells. As the virus destroys these cells, the immune system has a hard time combating disease and infection. AIDS is the most severe stage of the HIV infection, when the immune system is so compromised that the affected person gets many opportunistic illnesses. There is no cure for HIV, but there are treatments that can help control the infection, which reduce the presence of symptoms and the risk of transmission to people who do not have HIV. Scientists believe that HIV was passed to humans from chimpanzees that had a version of the virus called simian immunodeficiency virus, or SIV. HIV could have been transmitted from apes to humans as early as the late 1800s and spread across the world since. Though the virus had been in the United States since at least the 1970s, it was not reported until the 1981 article. Local clinicians and the Epidemic Intelligence Service Officer at the Los Angeles County Department of Public Health created the report and sent it to the Morbidity and Mortality Weekly Report for publication in May of 1981. Before the journal published the report, the editorial staff sent it to the CDC for review by experts in parasitic and sexually transmitted infections. And on June 5, 1981, the article was published. The five patients in the article, all described as previously healthy, currently or previously had cytomegalovirus and candida mucosal infection, in addition to pneumocystis pneumonia. Two of the patients died. The editorial note included at the end of the article stated that pneumocystis pneumonia is usually seen in people who are severely immunosuppressed and that the occurrence of the illness in these five patients was unusual. It also noted that because all five men were gay, some sort of disease acquired through sexual contact was at hand, and that a cellular immune dysfunction related to common exposure was possible. The same day, a New York dermatologist called the CDC to report several cases of Kaposi's sarcoma, a very rare cancer that often affects people with immune deficiencies among gay men in New York and California. And from there, more reports of similar cases popped up around the country. Just days after the initial report was published, the CDC established the Task Force on Kaposi's Sarcoma and Opportunistic Infections to research risk factors and investigate new cases of the mysterious syndrome. 
On July 3rd, the New York Times published an article on the epidemic titled, Rare Cancer Seen in 41 Homosexuals. Because it seemed like the condition was limited to gay men, it became known as gay-related immune deficiency. As the epidemic received more media attention, the misnomer gay cancer entered the public lexicon. But in September of 1982, the term AIDS was used to describe the syndrome for the first time. Though it was known that people besides men who have sex with men can get AIDS, perception of AIDS as a gay disease persisted. After researchers found out that HIV causes AIDS in 1984, HIV tests were developed. And in 1987, the first antiretroviral medication for HIV, called AZT, was released. Throughout the 1980s, the number of cases of HIV-AIDS increased, and so did the number of deaths caused by complications of AIDS. After that, the number of new cases and deaths declined. Men who have sex with men, people of color, transgender women who have sex with men, and injection drug users are at high risk for getting HIV. I'm Eve Jeffcoat, and hopefully you know a little more about history today than you did yesterday. And an additional note about the presence of HIV in the States, there's a long-standing myth that a French-Canadian flight attendant was patient zero in the U.S. as he picked up HIV in Haiti or Africa and spread it across the States, but scientists declared that this was not the case in 2016. If you want to learn more about history, you can listen to my new podcast called Unpopular. It's a podcast that I host that's about people in history who were dissenters or were rebels and they challenged the status quo, and sometimes they were persecuted for it. You can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at T-D-I-H-C Podcast. Thank you again for listening, and we'll see you tomorrow. Hey y'all, I'm Eves, and welcome to This Day in History Class, a podcast for folks who can never have enough history knowledge. The day was June 5th, 1878. Revolutionary leader Pancho Villa was born in Mexico. Villa was an important and controversial figure in the Mexican Revolution, and he's celebrated by many as a folk hero. In his young adult years, Villa was involved in banditry. He and other bandits and his crew would steal cattle and money from wealthy people. Later, Villa would become known as a kind of Robin Hood, robbing the rich and giving to the poor. At the time, Porfirio Diaz was the president of Mexico. Diaz was a controversial figure. While he promoted economic progress, his policies benefited hacendados, or estate owners, and other wealthy people, while they hurt rural laborers. The Mexican Revolution started when people began challenging Diaz's regime in 1910. Villa met presidential candidate Francisco Madero, who opposed Diaz's rule and promised to support the lower classes. Villa decided to join Madero's cause. Villa was made a colonel in the revolutionary causes, and he proved to be an effective leader. Madero was elected president in 1911, but Villa remained entangled in the political unrest. When Pascual Orozco launched a rebellion against Marrero, Villa participated in the fight against the counter-revolution. 
he gathered troops and joined forces with General Victoriano Huerta. But Huerta and Villa soon fell out, and Huerta ordered Villa's execution. Villa was sent to prison instead, but he escaped from prison in December of 1912. A couple of months later, Huerta killed Marrero and claimed the presidency. Villa escaped to the U.S. for a while, but he later went back to Mexico and formed his own military force called the División del Norte, or the Division of the North. He allied with Venustiano Carranza and went up against Huerta, and Villa effectively commanded his growing army, which won many revolutionary battles. Villa gained recognition throughout Mexico, but also in other countries. He gained a reputation for being brutal, but also benevolent. By 1913, Villa had become the governor of the state of Chihuahua, but a rivalry with Carranza soon led the two to split, and Villa teamed up with revolutionary leader Emiliano Zapata against Carranza. Carranza took power as the head of state in Mexico in 1915, and Villa continued his guerrilla activities while Carranza remained in power. The U.S. supported Carranza in the conflict, and Villa needed more supplies to fight Carranza, so in March of 1916, Villa led an attack against Columbus, New Mexico. Though the U.S. sent soldiers to Mexico to look for Villa, they did not find him. In 1917 and 1918, Villa launched many successful raids. But after Carranza was assassinated in 1920, interim president Adolfo de la Huerta negotiated Villa's amnesty and retirement. As part of the agreement, Villa got a hacienda in Chihuahua. But in 1923, Villa was assassinated when he was in his car. Some people remember Villa for his advocacy for peasants and his success as a military leader, but he was often villainized in the contemporary press, and he was known for his brutality in war. I'm Eve Jeffcoat, and hopefully you know a little more about history today than you did yesterday. And if you have any kind words you'd like to send us or any suggestions for future episodes, you can send them to us at thisday at iheartmedia.com. You can also hit us up on social media. We're at T-D-I-H-C podcast. Thanks so much for listening to the show and we'll see you tomorrow. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows.